You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Well, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 23. And as you're turning, I want to reiterate the purpose behind this writing of the book of Colossians by the Apostle Paul to the people in Colossae. Remember, there's a group of false teachers that have come in. They've come into this town, and they've brought all kinds of different false teachings that are pertaining to salvation and living a life honoring to God. And we know even today that that attack still comes from Satan as he tries to blur, as he tries to blind people to the truth of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and the one for salvation because of what Christ did on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we've used this picture each time, and, and as you look at it, you know, it's the word false and true, and it's kind of meshed together there, and maybe you can't pick out the word true, and, 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 and it's blurred, but, but as we read it out, you see the word come to, to, to clarity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is wanting to do through this letter to the Colossians, to again remind them and to bring to clarity what true salvation is and what it takes to be saved and have a relationship with God instead of everything these false teachers are trying to heap upon them and try to to get them to do and follow. And so as we look at this, let's go ahead and, and look at our scripture. But one of the things that Paul's trying to do is he's trying to tell these Christians in Colossae to just live this Christian life that you've learned, that you've known. You know, Nike has their little swoosh and their just do it. Well, kind of think of our logo, if you will. So today I'm challenging you just as Paul was challenging the Christians in Colossae, just live it, just live it. And so let's read our scripture for today. Verses 16 through 23, Colossians chapter 2. It says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. As we continue, I want to remind you where the city of Colossae is, as you look at this map that we've used several times, and if you look at the grid at the top, if you go from the F down, you can find the city of Colossae. But it is in the Lycus Valley, This is a very wealthy region, very influential, and we know that there is a large Jewish population there, just like the cities in Ephesus, Laodicea, and Perga. 
But also we know because of the wealth, because of the amount of trade that's going on in this area, that not only do you have the Judaizers coming in, but there are influences from other areas of false religions. And we even see through this as we study that even the Judaizers kind of tried to meld some of that together to create what they're trying to put upon these Gentiles and these Jews that have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses 16 and 17 again. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now once again, as you have learned here at Mount Pleasant, if we see the word therefore, we've kind of got to look back a little bit and see what had been written, what had been taught before this. And just as we learned last week, we see that the Judaizers had come in and they primarily talked about circumcision. That these Gentiles, that if they were going to say they're saved, that they were going to follow Christ, follow God, that they had to go through this physical circumcision also. But we learned again through that scripture up there from verses uh, 8 to 15 that it's not a physical circumcision that happens to us now at our time of conviction of our sin. Them, you, me, that at the time we're convicted of our sin that it is a, that is a circumcision of the heart of the heart. And I, fi- I find this in Ezekiel chapter 36, a-, a great explanation of this. So if you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, and as you're turning... What we see here is that once again, the Jewish nation has gone off and they're following these false idols. They've walked away from the Lord. And now God has sent Ezekiel as a prophet to go out and and proclaim again the truth and, and to draw them back to himself. And as you look at Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, you see a a great description, but you also see again that salvation is all of God, is from all of God. So as we look at these verses, 25 through 27, Ezekiel 36, now what you'll see here, you'll see I a lot in these verses, and that is in reference to God. So we could even say God, but I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You can turn back to Colossians chapter 2. But again, what we see in these verses is salvation is a complete work of God. He's taking us from the, us being dead in our sins and our trespasses. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. That in our sinfulness, we, we are dead. We are, we are on a path to hell because of our rejection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that sinfulness creates a hard heart in us. In anything recognizing God and being associated with God, we, we, we will have a hard heart. Even in Romans 8, it tells us because of our sinfulness, in our sinfulness, we are an enemy to God. We're an enmity. And But we see that God through again as we start recognizing that sinfulness, as we start recognizing His holiness and righteousness, as that conviction comes upon us, that there's a godly sorrow that's created in our heart that leads to repentance and leads to, leads to salvation. And so that once hard heart is made soft and sensitive to the things of God. And we again get to that point, as I've repeated several times already, repentance of our sin and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, in the hardness of our heart, we do fight against God a lot. 
And we aren't sensitive to those things. You think of a statue that's made out of, out of cement that, that's hard, and you, know, you walk up behind it and try to pinch the back of its arm, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to feel anything. Because it hasn't been, it hasn't been made into that flesh. You know, now, if you come pinch the back of my arm, I'm going to scream because that, that hurts. That's pretty sensitive back there. But see, God, through His power and the power of His Spirit, as it talked about, that His Spirit would be within us, we again become sensitive and soft to the things of God and be able to be used and be obedient to the Lord for what He calls us to do. But look at verses 16 and 17 again. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, the the focus here, as we had learned from last week, as the Judaizers mentioned about circumcision, now they're talking about these feasts that the Jews followed. And so we know there are seven primary feasts that the Jews were uh, to show their obedience to God that they followed before Christ came. And look look at this chart. It's kind of busy, but there towards the top you'll see them. We see that there's the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, and Day of Atonement. Now, we're not going to cover all those, but we are going to look at a few of them briefly, at least three of them. Now, these feasts were given to the Jewish nation so they could recognize the Messiah. You know, the Messiah was promised to them to come to deliver them really out of their sin. And God used the nation, separated them out by following these feasts and also certain regulations to show that they were different from the other nations so they could exhibit God to the rest of them so that they could come to know the Lord Jehovah, God Jehovah. But as we're looking at this, we see they're described a certain way. Look at verse 17 again. It says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Well, how are they a shadow? Well, let's try to describe them first. Let's look at these first three. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Now, we know the Passover came out of when the Israelites were in Egypt. They were in bondage there for 400 years. And we know that Moses left and went into the wilderness himself. And and God called him back to bring his nation out of all that bondage and what they were going through within the, 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 the persecution and everything they were going through from the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so, you know, we, he came and he had those, those plagues because Pharaoh would harden his heart. And each time Moses would ask the Pharaoh to let him go, that he refused that there would be a plague. And now at this point, we're, we're there at that 10th one. We, we remember, we know what that 10th one is, is that there was a death angel coming. He was going to fly over. And anyone that didn't follow what the Passover said, and we're going to look at it here in a moment, that, that the firstborn in every household would die. And so God told Moses to tell the nation of Israel to do this, that they would take a lamb, a perfect, a spotless lamb without blemish. They were to kill it that night. And what were they supposed to do with the blood? Yep, they took it with with a a hyssop branch and they put that blood along the doorposts. And then when the angel came over and saw that blood, that firstborn in that household was left alive. But we know because of the rebellion of the Egyptians that many, many perished that night. And it even says, even of the livestock, even of the livestock. 
And so as we look at even during that first Passover, when they made the bread, we know it was a certain meal that they prepared of bitter herbs and this bread. And the bread was made unleavened. They didn't put any leaven. It wasn't going to rise, one, because they were going to leave pretty quickly after this. Because Pharaoh was going to let them go. And so uh, as they partake, partook of this meal, they ate this unleavened bread. But as they came out of Egypt and as these feasts were established for the nation, as they're heading to the promised land to again show obedience, show trust in the Lord, this feast of unleavened bread was put in. First it recognized again that night because they, they had to leave quickly the next day to come out of Egypt. But it also, we see through Scripture that leaven is synonymous with sin, with evil, with wickedness. So when the Feast of Unleavened Bread was put in, it was put in the sign that they were, they were coming to a point of obedience. They didn't want sin in their lives. So they would eat this bread for seven days to show they were wanting a holy walk with the Lord. And they would follow this feast. But we also see that as they were, these feasts were instituted, there's this one here called the Feast of First Fruits. And what would happen is it's springtime uh, again is that crops would come in and they would come and, and take a, a sheaf of their wheat, uh, primarily the barley wheat, and they would bring it to the priest and the priest would wave it to the Lord as a sign again of, of thankfulness, of praise, of worship, but also of new life because it was their, their first harvest of the springtime. And so we see those first three, and, and again, we see that it's called, called a shadow, a shadow of, of things to come. Now, so how are they a shadow? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm standing here, and I can see my shadow from the lights, but is that me? See, that's not real. A shadow is not real. It's just an image of what's real. And so even though it was very important for the Israelites to follow these feasts, to show their obedience, to show their trust in the Lord, that wasn't what was to totally bringing them salvation. But there was a Messiah to come, but through their obedience, and, and in that obedience, they're, they're, they're telling God, just as we sung about trusting God, firm foundation, they were trusting God in Him for their salvation as they repented of their sins through these feasts and, and through their sacrifices, but all in awaiting of the Messiah to come. And so it was just a shadow of what was coming. And we see that we know that, that Jesus, how does that relate again to Jesus? We know at the, the Jordan River, when, when Jesus was coming to the Jordan River, and there's John the Baptist baptizing people. Remember what he said? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Going back, thinking about for a Jew, they would recognize that as, you know, we sacrifice lambs for repentance. You know, at that time, there was the Day of Atonement that was in place. So they knew that the sacrifice of the lambs, the blood that was shed, was for a sign of forgiveness and repentance for them. And so Christ, Christ coming, called the Lamb of God. Here is a picture of what they did in honoring to the Lord. But also we talk about how the, the unleavened bread without the, the leaven in it, synonymous to sin, wickedness, evil. And we know Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. You know, here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 22, it says, He committed no sin, neither was there any deceit found in His mouth. So there was no leaven, if you will, in Jesus. Again, because of He, he being the Son of God, being perfect, going to be that perfect sacrifice 
for all of us. We learned in Hebrews, if you remember when we studied through Hebrews, that he was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. No longer to follow those feasts, especially for a Gentile. To even incorporate that into our life. And so we see through this that it's just a, a representation again that, that as Jesus went to the cross, as he was sacrificed on that cross, that we know he died. He died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose again. And so as we look at this feast of, of first fruits, that in Leviticus 23, where it talks about these feasts, that they were, do, they were to do the feast of first fruits the, the day after the Sabbath. So for the Jew, what was the Sabbath? What day? Saturday. And then so the day after would be what? Sunday. And so this would begin this first uh, feast of first fruits and they would bring that sheaf, and they would, sheaf of wheat and they would wave it. Again, in recogni recogn uh, recognizing God for his, his, his bountiful uh, blessing of the harvest, but again, a recognition of new life. And that's Jesus. That's what he brings to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, we learned last week as we studied Romans chapter 6, as we talk about baptism, it talks about how Jesus, we have died in death with him, that when we were put under that water, and then we were risen again to walk in newness of life. So Jesus, he fulfills all that. Remember what he said about the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to what? Fulfill it. So we see the shadow. We see the shadow of what came forth with Christ coming. And Paul's reiterating to them again. Now remember, it's not works. It's not works. It's not all these following this law. It's not all this legalism that's trying to be uh, he heaped upon you. You know, again, we've learned through Colossians, it says, for in, him, for in him the fullness of all deity dwells in him bodily. And this is what Paul's reiterating, that salvation is not Jesus plus something else. It is not Jesus plus Judaism, which would include the feast, the circumcision. It's not Jesus plus anything. A true spirituality, a true wisdom, a true salvation comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by repenting of our sins, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following Jesus Christ. His very words. His very words. But as I said, these Judaizers, they were trying to mix several things together. They weren't the only ones coming in there passing off these false religions and these false beliefs. Paul warns of these other false teachings. Look at verse 18 again. It says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. You know, first of all, what's asceticism? What, what, is, what does that mean? Basically... That's almost like kind of taking a vow of poverty, if you will, or, or, or you're not going to associate with anything that would be considered a worldly pleasure. And, and even in some issues, it's called a self-abasement. Self-abasement. And if you know of any, some of the, some of the other, uh, well, not religions, but what people have added to it. Um, that, you know, during the Easter time that people will walk streets and they'll, they'll, they'll whip themselves until they're bleeding. Some people even in some uh, countries, they nail themselves to the cross and they parade through the streets. And so we see that as, as again, another level of, of trying to get a, a spiritual hotness, if you will. 
trying to say they're, they're enlightening themselves and, and moving uh, further and closer to the spiritual life or to God. And we see this primarily a lot within Hinduism and Buddhism of, of this asceticism, of denying anything of the world and keeping ourselves out of it. You know, it's described as a form of humility. But if we are putting ourselves on display and, you know, Jesus was very much using this against the Pharisees many times, that if we are putting ourselves on display to, to look more spiritual than someone else, that he says, you are worshiping with me with your lips, but not with your heart. Your heart is far from me. And so as we look at this, we can say that the so-called worship that glorifies the worshiper above the one that should be worshiped is not worship at all. It is pride. It may look as humble or in as, with as much humility as maybe we can picture. But again, it's putting themselves out front and on display instead of giving worship to the Lord Jesus. And we kind of see a picture of this even in David's life. And so Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, we'll put on the screens. But what was happening here, again, was that King David, this is after his adulterous affair with Beersheba, Bathsheba, um, and then, you know, he killed Uriah, her husband, in battle to try to cover up his, his adultery with her. And so at this time, David is still continuously going to the tabernacle and praising the Lord. He's bringing sacrifice. He's bringing worship before the Lord. But he's still trying to cover up this sin. He's not recognizing this sin in his life. And you, many of you, I'm sure, know the, the, the story from there or, or the event that the, the prophet Nathan came before David one day and, and he told him this story. He said, David, you know, there was this, this rich man. He had a lot of little lambs. He had a lot of sheep. And he said he had anything he wanted. But right beside him was this poor man. Had this one little lamb. But this rich man decided he didn't want to use any of his other sheep or lambs for anything, so he was going to go get that little lamb of that man, and he did. He went and got it. And he said, David, what should we do to that man that he would do that? David became enraged. He was mad. He said, we need to kill him. We need to get him. And then Nathan turned and pointed at David, and he said, David, you're that man. So I'm very careful when someone goes, Dale, you're the man. I go, okay, which one? David or, you know, you know have I done good or have I, am I doing something wrong here? So we see that, that David, though upon that recognition of, of Nathan confronting him with his sin, that he came to this point and realized for this year, for this time of presenting worship and praise, but with, with unrepented sin in his life, that what he had been offering was fake. And so we have this wonderful, wonderful psalm and these wonderful two verses here. It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
See, and again, that goes back to, to the feast and the sacrifices that even the Israelites did. The Jews would bring before the priest, before the tabernacle, before the temple, when the temple was built, that, that sometimes you can see that, that that would come into a point of that it's just duty, that it's just out of obligation. And so they were offering all these, and God rejects that type of worship. What he says is a, a broken spirit, a contrite heart is the worship God wants from each and every one of us. And so as we look at this, what, what is it in our life? What is it in my life? There's a mirror in front of me. What is it in my life that I need to have broken, that I need to repent of and get out of my life so my worship can be acceptable to God? Now as we look at this, we also see from verse 18 the asceticism, but also this, this kind of mysticism that was, was uh, joined together with it. Because it talks about worshiping angels. It talks about visions and, and how they were becoming puffed up because it's like, okay, have you had visions? Uh, are you experiencing this? Well, I've experienced this. So we kind of see through that maybe a little bit of a spiritual elitism. And so we know through Scripture we're not to worship angels to start with. We know even just from Jesus being, you know, tempted by Satan when he was in the wilderness and, and Satan was wanting him to bow down to him. And Satan, uh, using Scripture, tells him, you know, from Matthew chapter 4, he said, you know, you're to worship the Lord God and Him only. We know through Scripture, through the studies, through Isaiah chapter 6 and, and others that we see what are the angels doing. They're around the throne worshiping from our study in Revelation. Remember the Apostle John, that, that when God would send a messenger, would send an angel, and, and John would bow down to him, and the angels would say, no, stand up, don't worship me. And so we see that we're not to do that anyway, but they, they, they're heaping this on, this, this, this extra spiritualism, if you will. And you know, that's still prominent today. You know, Pastor Kevin and I, uh, along with uh, Katie and Candace, we've been to Ethiopia several times, haven't been in a while, but we would go visit what was called the Orthodox Christian Church. And even in that, they worshiped apostles, they worshiped the angels, and they would have them on these large churches within the, uh, uh, you know, statues of them and around these churches, and they would worship those. And so we see that he's saying, no, none of that, none of that. He said, and, and just because maybe you have had some sort of experience, don't try to force that on someone else that maybe they're not quite there yet. Or, 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 and so they're, they're saying, you know, like, well, if you haven't done that, if you haven't experienced that, you're just not a spiritual. You need to reach out and try to grab hold of that so you'll become more enlightened, more heightened in your spirituality. But... but the Apostle Paul describes this very clearly to stay away from. Let's see how they're described because, you know, in verse 18, uh, he says a sensuous mind, which is an earthly mind, an earthly mind. It's based off human wisdom and human philosophy. And we see it described in verses 21 through 23. Let's read those. Now we're going to start out with, it says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. And here's what Paul says. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You know, they're, they're, they're bringing this before them and, and they're trying to, again, pass it off as it says as wisdom. 
Now, a couple Wednesday nights ago from James, as we're studying James on, on Wednesday nights, that James contrasted true wisdom and false wisdom. And one thing that was very, very pertinent to what it says about false wisdom is that it, it is, it is, it is uh, um, you know, self-ambition, that there is bitter jealousy within it and that it's placing themselves over anyone else. And it's passing on, again, this human philosophy and this human wisdom. But Paul says there's no value in this. Again, what it's trying to do is trying to put experience over truth or over a constant lifestyle of being obedient to God's word and his truth. And this is what we have at the beginning. You know, again, we, we showed that picture, truth and faults. Again, what we have here in God's word is the truth for all of life, all aspects of it, for sin, for salvation, for death, for life, and an obedient walk to the Lord. We have the truth through his word. And see here again, what's being cast upon them is more of a burden to try to, try to follow these works, follow these regulations. Because he says, do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. You know, as if... And you may have had this uh, in your witnessing where someone's even uh, confronted you with this. It's as if these teachers, these false teachers are saying, do you actually believe it's just Jesus? Just faith in Jesus? Do you actually believe that Jesus Christ is all sufficient? Well, may I say, yes, he is. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And see, what they're missing, and the Apostle Paul's going to show us this here in a few minutes, what they're missing, again, that Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is there for us in everything. No matter what circumstance you are going through right now, you can trust the Lord to help you through it. He is faithful, and He will bring you through those circumstances. Go to Him, go to Him, pray to Him, read His Word, study it, and allow Him to work in your life. But look at verses 19 and 20. Because he just before that, in verses uh, 18, he talks about again, let not people disqualify you on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous minds. He's saying they're, they're putting all this out there, and then, this is, and then he's saying, look what they're not doing. He says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And so as we look at that verse, you know, think about this. This physical body, this physical body, we can't do anything without the head. Look at this picture. You think about it. hope that doesn't gross you out too bad. But you know, God created us and we, we, we have our brain and then from the brain, the spinal cord and the nervous system that, 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 you know, there's impulses going through. Right now, are you thinking about breathing? It's just happening. Those impulses going through. In fact, let's do a little test right quick. Everybody look at me. I know it's hard, but please do. Smile. Everybody smile. So you took that request through your ears, it registered in your mind, and those that smiled, smiled back. Think about this, raise your right hand. Now repeat after me, no, just kidding. Put your right hand in, take your right hand out, shake it all, no, okay. 
But, but you see, you see, without you taking that in and the impulses moving through our body, and, it, and then it talks about the ligaments, the joints that hold us together, that hold the body together. And this is a great analogy of Christ. Because Christ is our head. Christ is everything to us. It is through Him that everything holds together for us in our lives. Everything pertaining to salvation. Everything as we live for Him and walk through Him. And we look this, and we've learned this from uh, chapter 1, but I want us to read these verses again. But verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1, we get this great image that again, what Paul is saying here about Jesus being the head and they're forgetting that. And how often do we do that in the things we go through that we forget to go to Jesus? We go everywhere else, seek every other help, but we forget to go to the Lord and, and seek Him. And we see this beautiful example of exactly who Christ is in verses 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here we go, this last part. Forget the feast, forget the circumcision, forget everything else. He says He has done this. He has brought us to him by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus plus nothing. Everything he, that we need is what Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us that we may have salvation, that we may have eternal life. Now as Paul looked at this and, 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 and he, he's, he's in a way kind of saying, look, look, just as, as a coach may do, that, that the play's not being run correctly. And he says, look, again, Christ is the head. He's all you need. In verse 20, he says this, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, he's saying, look, if you have professed Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, there's nothing else to be added to that. Christ fulfilled everything on the cross with his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And that goes back to verse 21, where it says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Because you remember back in Romans 14, as Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome that there was this, this, this big discussion about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat because of food uh, sacrificed before idols or brought before idols. And that, you know, there was this discussion again that, that look, you know, if, if, if it caused a brother to stumble, then yeah, don't eat it. But, but, but if you're at peace with that, you know, yes, go ahead. But that's what's at the forefront, though. Because as we see here, we're trying to, trying to talk about, you know, refuting some illegalism, but there are things that God does ask us to do. There are things in our life and how we should live in showing our relationship with Him and as a believer, as a believer. 
Because we see through that, it says in, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that goes back again of what we, what we read from Ezekiel. That God takes this hard heart of sin and He creates that, that fleshly heart, that, that heart that's sensitive to, to Him and to the Lord Jesus. And that in that, He puts in, you know, He resides in us. Now, the Holy Spirit of God resides in us if we've truly repented and given our life to Him. And in that, that gives us the power to live this life that He's called us and asked us to do. And so again, Paul's saying, look, if you've left that world, if you've left that world of sin, that, that, that world of legalism, if you will, that, 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 that world of trying to, to do things that, that somehow you think makes you closer to God, he says, why still be part of it? You know, let go of the world. He's saying let go of that. Come to Christ and know that Christ is sufficient for all things. You know, we, we see this, that again, at the forefront of our lives, though, what we do, it, will it cause a brother or sister to stumble? Will it cause someone that may be the Lord's working with? That they're, they're, they're getting close. They're, they're, they're trying to seek this thing out about their relationship with the Lord. Are they saved? Do they know Him or not? How, how does our life look before them? We should think about that as we go through our lives. But you know, we look at this and you know, it's very clear in chapter 3, we're going to get there. This won't be on the screens, but I want to read these to you. Think about this. Because again, as our lives are portrayed before people, because whether we like it or not, our lives are on display. If we are professing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are on display to a lost and dying world. How do we look? How are we living? And so as we look at verse 5, I'm just going to read it to you. If you have your Bibles, look at it. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Remember, he talked about that sensuous mind with his earthly mind, relying on human wisdom. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so that's what he's saying, to, again, to these Christians at Colossae, these Gentiles. He's encouraging them. He's saying, look, don't, don't let these false teachers heap all this on you. But he's also reminding them that, look, you do have a life to live that needs to glorify the Lord. How are you walking? How are you living? You know, as we look at this, we are reminded of so many things in our lives that we could probably name and look at that maybe we still have in our life that it looks worldly. Maybe there's some thoughts that are against God's Word, that are against Scripture. Maybe there's some sins in our life that again goes against God's Word and what He's called us to be. See, God is, uh, Paul is telling them, you know, die, you've died to that. Remember in baptism, we have died a death with Christ, but we were raised again to walk in newness of life. Jesus says to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Him. And so as we look at this again, we, we, you know, I'd, I'd like to challenge you again. Again, just like Nike's got there, just do it. How about us individually? How about Mount Pleasant Baptist Church? If we're professing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, let's just live it. Let's just live it. If Jesus is at the head, 
for everything for us. Let's be obedient to Him. Let's listen to His call. Let's seek His voice and obey Him and be obedient to Him in our lives. You know, if you hear anything else today, I want you to listen to these two portions of Scripture. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we, we are dead. We are dead. Dale no longer exists because of Christ. And I have a life now to live for him. And I want it to be obedient and in honor to him. And in those times of sin that I come to him in repentance and call on him to, to, to change me, to, to help me repent of that and move forward. And see, I realize that in that I have the power to do that because of the Holy Spirit, because 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His, Jesus' divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. See, He's calling us to that, calling us to His glory and His excellence. So again, as... The Apostle Paul was telling the Colossians, he's let go of this world. Let go of this world. Live it for Christ. Live it for Christ. You have died to it. So again, if you are professing to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith in Jesus, let's just live it, church. Let's just live it. And my heart's desire today, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that I'm going to pray in a few minutes. And after I pray, you know, some of us will be back here near the decision room. And we're there to meet with you. We're there to pray with you. Anything you need. And so if you will stand, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for today. God, we thank you for, Lord, who you are and your greatness, your holiness. Thank you, Father, for your power and your might. And God, again, as we look at, uh, Lord, your word, Lord, we see again the truth of what Christ did for us. That, Lord, the Son of God left, left heaven. And, Lord, that's what we're celebrating all about this month, is that, God, you came for us. And that's what this scripture is telling us, that it's not us trying to get to God, trying to do things to get to God, but you came to us and through Christ, his death, burial, his resurrection, that we may be saved and have eternal life. But God, on this earth, there is a life to live. And again, you've heard, we've heard many times, you do care about what we do. You do care about what we say. Is it honoring to the Lord? Will it draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that we will go out, Lord, especially this Christmas season, that we will proclaim your truth. And Lord, I do pray if there's one here today that's not saved, they're ready to repent. God, you've called them to yourself. The conviction is upon them. They're ready to give their life to you that today could be the day. Lord, anyone else, Lord, that needs prayer, we'll be back there for them. Lord, we just thank you again and just praise your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.